0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones.
1: Hi, this is Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I wanna talk to you leader to leader about something important. As leaders, especially at times of rapid change and uncertainty, It's easy to live and act from a place of fear. If we're not careful, that fear can paralyze us and keep us from effectively leading at work, at home, and in every relationship. But that doesn't have to be the case. My friend, Ben Straup, founder of Velocity Strategy Solutions, a growth architecture firm that helps leaders and organizations accelerate revenue and maximize impact through data-driven strategies, has just released a great new resource for leaders. It's called Eight Things Leaders Say When They Fear Change and how to confront those fears. This five-page resource gives you eight of the most frequent responses we as leaders have when we experience fear, and the specific steps and language that you can use to move beyond fear to action. Click the link in the episode show notes to get this resource today. You'll be a better leader tomorrow because of it. Hey, this is Andrew Olson with the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, and I am really excited today to have Brady Josephson with us. He's the Managing Director at the Institute for Online Fundraising at NextAfter. Brady, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, really looking forward to talking with you today, and we are going to focus our conversation on fundraising in a COVID world, what you can learn from 152 nonprofit emails and 90 organization's Google analytic data. That's a ton of data to go through. I'm really yes. excited to jump into this. So first of all, tell us, I mean, this is an important topic, but how did we get to the point of looking at the data at this aggregate level?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So it really goes back to like the underpinnings of our firm and our, and our research lab, which is really, um, we as marketers and fundraisers are actually pretty bad at knowing what to do <laughs> and predicting donor behavior. And so the real advantage that we have today largely through digital is the opportunity to find and then also create data that can help show us the way and so what i mean by find is we can look at things like trends and behaviors and giving patterns we can also create data that's really meaningful that helps us understand human behavior and that's really experimentation and testing so that's really what we try to to focus on we also create data by um, doing research studies where we become a donor and we sign up for email lists captured the experience and we'll monitor it to see what our nonprofits doing. What we're trying to do is what do we find in the experimentation world that's working? And what do we see that nonprofits aren't really doing? You know, where's that gap or that Delta? And that's where we try to focus our time and attention to say, here's how most nonprofits on average, most of the time can best improve their online fundraising. And so when kind of COVID happened and we like a lot of other people, like what is happening, you know, A lot of people were quick to say exactly what you should do. We were a little reticent to say exactly what you should do because how do you know what to do in a global (laughs) pandemic? And so we said, well, let's just get some data. And so this is the advantage of making these donations and signing up for these emails is we get all their emails all year long, you know? And so we said, well, what if we just show, here's just what nonprofits are doing. And so that's where it's up to 157 nonprofits where we get all their emails, we chart them by week, we show the actual emails. You can actually look at all of the emails that we receive whether they mentioned covert or not as just a resource to say, here's what other people are doing. We're not saying what's good or bad yet. Cause we don't really know, <laughs> but at least, Hey, are other people fundraising is email volume going up, you know, trying to provide some data into the, to, into the equation. So it wasn't all just kind of, you know, shoot from the hip opinions. So that's really where it started. And then we added in some giving data and then we replicated it in Canada. Now to try to do the same thing of how do we aggregate some, some data and research to add to the conversation so people can have more information to make their strategies and decisions.
1: So generally speaking at this point, what are you seeing? Are there trends emerging? Is it all over the map? Like, what can you share with us about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty consistent trend. So again, um, data doesn't lie, but it doesn't always tell the truth, right? So <laughs> there's, there's exactly what's, what's going on in data. And, and what's, what's interesting is n- this doesn't always happen where your understanding of what's going on in the world, kind of like what you read and what you see and what you hear is backed up by data. But what we see is kind of you know that initial wave mid-March when it was declared like a global pandemic, there was a lot of kind of panic or pausing and we actually see it in data where email volume did kind of stop basically. Um, you know Right when people would be going into spring campaigns where volume normally picks up, it was, it was relatively flat and a lot of organizations actually went pretty, pretty silent, especially in certain verticals like education we saw uh, go quite silent actually. And again, whether that's good or bad, not saying anything, just saying that was kind of the trend. And then it started kind of emerging where maybe organizations were not staying silent and saying, no, this is the time to communicate. Maybe looking at lessons that we've learned in the past of saying "You know, organizations that come out of crises and economic downturns stronger, aren't the ones who stay silent, aren't the ones who don't fundraise. And they're the ones who communicate, who engage with donors, who invite people to respond. And so maybe by the time that kind of made its way into you know the the wider nonprofit world, it's like, hey, it's okay to fundraise. And in fact, you probably should be fundraising right now, or at least presenting the opportunity for donors. Then we started seeing a big spike. And so March and April, and then into May, we actually see this upward trend of emails where kind of then we had Giving Tuesday now in the week of first week of May. There's a big spike of email volume, both in Canada and the US during Giving Tuesday now. But the general trend line is uh, emails were going up and then late March onwards, it's been a pretty consistent trajectory up and now we're just starting to see it kind of come back down. Whether that's a f- uh, kind of fatigue, whether it's okay, you know, COVID is kind of waning, things are opening up, you know, can we sustain this momentum? It's getting into summer, there's all kinds of different factors, but
1: we're just starting to see email volume now start to taper off a little bit. Okay. So you you already kind of hit on this, but I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective outside of purely looking at the data. In a situation like this, what do you think or, or do you think that there's a value to sort of that, you know, first mover status in response to a, a crisis situation?
0: Yeah. And um, I, think, I think the thing that we always get mixed up sometimes is when we talk about communicating, some people automatically assume that that's an ask or people are asking someone to give and that's that's not always true and that's a very false assumption that that we shouldn't be making so i generally think early movers to communicate almost always win it's almost always a good strategy to communicate on the front foot to be authentic to be open and honest you don't necessarily have to ask for money but that almost always pays off dividends now you there's some risk inherent in that and nonprofits aren't the most you know they're very risk averse so you know how to get our messaging all aligned but I think especially as things move fast and change all the time, you can wait for months and still not know what the right answer is. So in trying to be more agile and get in front um, often leads to benefits. And the other thing that happens that we find similar like communication leads to communication. If you start that process of communicating, well, now you're over the hump or the fear of, we don't know what to say. And like, you're never gonna know exactly what to say. So come up with something that you think is good Put it out, get some feedback, get better. You know, that's the general process of online giving, whether you use, you know, real rigorous experimentation or testing or not, organizations that win or raise more money online typically are not as perfectionists, they move quicker, they're more agile, they test more, and it's a different mindset. But in the world of digital, speed is such an asset. So that's always the side that that I would lean organizations towards.
1: So I, I love that perspective. And I want to hone in on one thing that you said. You said they're not as perfectionist, those that are more adept on the digital side. And I, I can appreciate that significantly because often, you know, when I'm working in with, with a client on direct mail program, let's say, right? You print that once and it's done, right? And, right? and so if you've got errors in it, if something's not accurate, if if you mess up your ask, you know, that error is going to live You know in perpetuity for the length of that that mail package and the the time that you're fundraising but the the ability to be more flexible and more iterative in the digital space and particularly this idea of not being a perfectionist so talk to me a little bit about what the mindset is that an organization should take like what what level of error and, and even as simple as like misspellings should an organization say yeah like it's more important to get this out into market than it is to get this right.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not about not having a process, and it's not about not being professional. I think the biggest thing, especially when it comes to to digital, is like, well, what's what's a mistake? I know for us, when we've sent uh, mistake emails and then said I'm sorry, it's the biggest response we get, and there's numerous stories about that. Right? Of I don't think people expect brands and organizations to be perfect. I expect. <laughs> I think we expect them to be you know, human. (laughs) And there's actually a lot of research that, you know, especially for nonprofit brands, we actually interpret them almost like humans or Mm -hmm. Dr. BJ Fogg is research talking about social presence. So we interact with emails and technology almost as if they're human. And so this is where things that react more in a human way, even if it's a website or if it's copy in an email, the more human it is, the more we naturally connect with it. And I think mistakes are a part of that. So part of me says, what are you really trying to mitigate risk for? Is it, you know, not merging their name right. If you've got a donor that's willing to stop all support because you mismerged their name, you know, I'd say you don't have a lot of trust built up with that person. <laughs> and that's a very, very fickle donor. Again, I'm not saying make mistakes or don't have processes in place. But the biggest thing is what we often try to get right or perfect is message. And message is really, really, really difficult to know uh, what it is to be perfect or to get right for all donors. So, on the digital side, if you've got a large list, then it's like, we'll send it up to 20%, see how they respond, make your you know, tweaks, and then send it up to the other 80%. You know, if you've got a lot of volume, that's a very practical, easy strategy. If you don't have that much volume, then still run a split test. Really focus on coronavirus and COVID in this one. Maybe it's a little bit more passive in this one. See which one performs better. And then in your next email, you'll know which way to kind of learn or lean. You know that's going to be a much better way to get uh, insight into how you should communicate than, you know, workshopping it with your agency or on a boardroom or something like that, right? So it's it's a big mindset shift, and you're right. A lot of it actually does come from direct mail. When you know you there's a lot of money in it, and you do only get one shot more or less, and so it's kind of retraining the the process and thinking. But again, I think if you sat down with a lot of direct response direct mail marketers and said. What if you could basically send a mail package at no cost every week? Would you still have the same process? No way, they would change the process, right? So we also need to adapt the process that we use and have
1: when it comes to, to online fundraising and sending emails in particular. Yeah, that makes good sense. So tell me this, I, and, and I, I'm assuming that you guys have data on this, but you, you may correct me. I'm curious to know with what you're seeing with the COVID crisis, how does that differ and how does the you know nonprofit response differ? from some of the other kind of rapid onset crises like the Haiti earthquake, the Indonesian tsunami, Katrina, stuff like that. Is there a meaningful difference in how nonprofits are responding to it and what you're seeing in performance data?
0: Yeah, so this is where I will have less data because I wasn't in the seat that I was now during those crises. So I don't have the the same data set. I do have a background in international development and more familiar with disaster response. And there's been a lot of comparables to like the 2008 economic downturn But I think what's so different obviously is this was uh, extremely sudden (laughs) and impacted you know all all people all walks of life in some regard and forced people home so that's the other big thing so for example we see that online giving is up um, fairly significantly what we still don't know how much you know how much is this is just shifting from other channels but we do know that one of the factors is uh, more people are spending more time on Devices period because they have Mm. more time but a higher percentage of people are spending time on a desktop They're kind of sitting around the house or they're at a computer. They're not on the go quite as much and conversion rates for desktop are about three times higher than they are for mobile So when we look at the conversion rate, which has been growing this whole year and has actually gone up March April and May month after month when we track conversion rate One factor at least in there is that more people are visiting nonprofit websites on a desktop now, that's a very different situation than an economic downturn. That's a very different situation than a disaster response. So that's one of the unique things is the fact that people were not at work. People were at home and oftentimes not doing much. <laughs> so that's that's super unique about this one that's different than other ones. The other thing that's actually interesting is normally when there's an international disaster, then international obviously spikes, right? When you look back at giving USA data or whatever it is for that year, they'll always have a little asterisk of, you know, there was – you know, a hurricane or or a disaster or Haiti and, you know, that's why there was a 15% increase this year, you know, it was a bit of an anomaly or Hurricane Katrina and kind of human services or whatever it is. Normally like a vertical will kind of rise and, and see a lot more. Now what we've seen at least is there's a little bit of that for sure for health and social services. But when we look at revenues, it's pretty much every single vertical has seen an increase in online giving, even the ones that have stayed relatively silent. And so, again, there's a few things going on. One, again, how much of the the shift is just mail to online or face-to-face online? It's still hard for us to parse out. So that's something that obviously requires a bit more, uh, you know, investigation. But I think the other thing is there's just a, a heightened sense of empathy. And empathy is very strongly linked to giving and generosity. Americans, but not just Americans, people were wired to give. And when we see other humans in need, we generally respond. And so I think when you go through this crisis, that's so far-reaching, impacting so many lives and so many people. I think there is a real generous spirit that abounds that you, you want to help, whether it's a local arts organization that can't do the classes that they used to do or can't do performances, you know, they're seeing an uptick, whether it's education that's now trying to figure out solutions to help kids graduate online, you know, they're seeing an uptick. So I think the fact that this has in a negative way, impacted everyone, I think is also in a positive way, impacted generosity and more verticals than a lot of other disasters have in the past.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point. You know, I was surprised by this. I work with a couple of large evangelical ministries and they, I mean, largely aren't doing anything related to COVID or at least nothing of significant programming, right? So we all expected to see a downturn in their revenue. As of last month, they were up, you know, 10 to 15% compared to what was projected for the year, which was a, a very positive surprise for us, because we expected that we'd see, you know, probably a negative to that number. Right. So um, I think that, you know, kind of makes your point. So I'm curious, two, two other brief points about what we were just talking about. First of all, with, with the shift to from mobile to desktop, because people have been home more, are you seeing any reduction in cart abandonment uh, rates because of that? Yeah, so what
0: we're tracking is, is global conversion rate. So okay. the number of people that go on to make a donation that visit a website. So, you know, it's normally about 1% is kind of the rough industry benchmark. And the smaller you are, the less traffic you, you get, the higher that number is, and the larger you are, the smaller that number is. But it's around, you know, 1%. And, um, you know, th- we've been seeing it kind of north of 3 kind of 4%. So there's a lot of highly engaged people visiting websites making donations. Oh. Now there, there's another conversion rate metric that we don't have in our dashboard. It's harder to measure on aggregate, which is like a donation page conversion rate. So how many people actually visit a donation page that go on to make a donation, Okay, right? It used to be like 17% and this year MNR said it was more like 22%. I don't have that information to say how that's changed or shifted over the past few months. but the hypothesis that if we see a a global conversion rate, you'll most likely also see uh, a donation conversion rate increase as well. So we're not really sure. So that's one of the things driving online revenue is conversion rate. But what we're also seeing is that the average gift has actually kind of gone down. So while online revenue is up, it's really being driven by volume or transactions, even though the average amount given has actually gone down a bit. (laughs) And in Canada, we're actually seeing the almost the opposite where they're seeing a lot of growth in online giving as well, but it's driven more so by generosity or average gift and less so by volume. So that's kind of interesting to see the difference. And what we can't parse out is how many of those are recurring gifts. So I know we've had clients that have seen a lot of success with recurring gifts, even in this time. And now that will show up as a smaller average gift, but over time, you and I both know those donations are going to be, you know, much 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 more valuable than the sure. one time donors. So again this is what i mean by data doesn't lie but it doesn't tell the whole truth. This is what's <laughs> difficult to, to parse out. So yeah, those for are sure. a few
1: other things going into it. Well and i don't know what you know what all organizations are in your data set but i know of a couple organizations here in the states that you know they they've acquired anywhere from 10 to 100,000 donors just in the last you know 10 weeks and i yeah, you know, I don't, I don't have data to support this, but I suspect that those acquisition average gifts are coming in lower than a typical renewal gift would be. So that, you know, might also be some of what's contributing to that lower average gift here in the States too.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think some, some people are lowering the ask amounts knowing that many people have lost their jobs and it is an economic downturn. So it's, again, it's a combination of factors of people asking for less money, but also part of the reason why a recurring gift to ask is so strong is, you know, asking for a hundred bucks right now, potentially is, is really difficult, but you know, there's a lot of people in need. Would you chip in five bucks? It's like, yeah, Yeah. you know, that taps into my human spirit. I can afford $5, you know, I'll do it. So I think we're seeing a lot more of those types of strategies, which I think are great, but that will bring down, you know, average gift rate. Yeah, for sure. But but hopefully it'll help kind of limit the inevitable slump. You know, if we have some recurring donors who hopefully don't cancel, uh, that's another thing that um, we've seen some in the UK, we're starting to see a little bit in, in the US is some some cancellations of recurring gifts. So that could be a whole nother thing.
1: But Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because early on uh, around the crisis we do some international relief work and I had one client come to us and say a lot of our peers in Europe are seeing, you know, 20 to 30% cancellation rates right now because mm-hmm. of COVID and you know, we saw some, but not anywhere near that rate. Um, so do I understand correctly that you're starting to see an emergence of that here in the States now?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Again, not an aggregate. It's, okay. it's really difficult. It's more like on a client by client basis. Okay. We're starting to see some, and and I think that's partly natural. The longer that the economic impact is is felt, you know, the the desire for people to to, to remain strong, loyal donors is great. At some point, you know, <laughs> if you don't have a job, you just you you don't right. have the money. <laughs> yep. So I think that's part of it. Is is COVID struck harder and quicker uh, over there, and then. Um, they have a higher percentage of people that give recurring. They have different styles of giving recurring. It's often like direct deposit as opposed to credit card, which is maybe easier to to manage. So you can actually see it come out. There's sure. a bunch of different things going on between you know Europe and here, but we are starting to see uh, some glimpses, and that would be one of the you know kind of indicators that things may be getting worse. is if we see more people calling to to kind of cancel their uh, recurring donations, so it's something to look for.
1: Yeah, for sure. So just one more thing on the recurring piece. One of the interesting things, or at least I thought it was interesting that we saw in this was that a lot of the, at least for our clients, those donors that were canceling their recurring payments tended to be donors who had a larger recurring gift, which to your mm-hmm. point about, you know, as, as the crisis goes on longer and you're not employed, every dollar becomes even more important. So we were seeing, you know, people who were, maybe they were given 50 or a hundred dollars a month they were canceling at a higher rate than those that might be given five or 10. Are you seeing any variance in, in the gift level of cancellations
0: right now? Yeah, I'd say that's generally true. And again, because it's more like client by client basis and less kind of in aggregate, it's, it's harder to say for sure, but anecdotally I would say that that is true. And what's interesting is, you know, that also prevents an presents an opportunity. Something that we haven't seen a lot of is kind of uh, recurring prevention strategies, or if you've ever gone to cancel like a, a subscription to an entertainment <laughs> service you know they've got a lot of these different things it's like you know can you put this on pause you know what if you gave a little bit you know deferred payments you know are you sure you want to stop they have all these things that have really been tested to get people to to not opt out and most some recurring programs have that, but a lot of recurring programs a you just have to call which is <laughs> kind of difficult and it's it's binary it's either it's on or it's off so what's interesting is we got an international development client who has a child sponsorship program, and they actually did a did a call out to to non-sponsor donors to say, hey, we're actually seeing a decline in child sponsorship, and some people ending, which means you know there's there's needs, there's kids who are not having the support, and they have kind of like a fill the gap fund. You <laughs> know, could, would you help make a one-time donation to help fill the gap for some of these sponsors that are dropping? And it was unbelievably successful. Because it's not just a donor coming to to meet the needs of a of a child in need, but also their like fellow person you know who is you know kind of suffering and not able to continue their child sponsorship so it's you know the donor kind of gets to be a double hero in some ways, and so I think again um necessity is the mother of invention i think this presents a lot of opportunities for us to think about how do we do recurring cancellation are there other ways to encourage the loss or you know uh, alleviate the loss of recurring revenue in ways that we haven't thought about and you know some of those types of things but that that was just one that, that we've seen that was a pretty interesting so now we're trying that with a few different clients that aren't child sponsorship of just saying you know we're seeing a decline in these loyal donors and you know could you help cover that, that gap
1: specifically? So it's kind of an interesting uh, uh, offer. It is a really interesting offer. I, I might have to steal that and test it with Please. a few of my clients as well, yes. And let me know how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Just a few more minutes left in this conversation here and I've really enjoyed this chat. I, I wanna talk a little bit about, and I know that you will probably say to me that we have to wait to see the data, but you know if we're talking to fundraisers and organizational leaders about what they should expect in say the coming six to 12 months. I think if I heard you correctly earlier, you probably would say expect a correction in conversion rate coming at some point as people go back to work and fewer people are in front of their desktop all day. But what other kinds of things, what other trends or changes should we be expecting over the next six to 12 months as we hopefully come out of this COVID situation?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. So this is really, you know, Brady's personal opinion and less, you know, real confidence in the data. So let's let's have that big caveat before we before we get too far. One, I mean, we, we spend a lot of our time focusing on digital and I actually think a lot of the trends that we see won't see a huge change and dip necessarily. So perhaps a small decline in conversion rate, email volumes over the summer will probably go down a bit. We should probably see maybe a slight decrease in the number of gifts, but I think we'll actually see a small increase in average gift. So I think online revenue is going to continue to grow. And again, that's a big factor of that is some shift. It's actually pretty cheap to acquire emails and donors right now through paid ads. It's not as competitive as it once was. So that's been an advent. An advantage but i think that'll normalize so i actually think online giving will be relatively unaffected but i do think the big hit is going to be in other avenues other areas particularly major gifts which is largely in step with you know economic downturn and we'll see i'm i'm hoping that like donor advised funds can kind of rise to the fore and be a white knight as they have been in the past and there's some indications that they will again to help balance some of that out. But that's where, you know, in in Canada, we see online revenues up and then the average organization's down 30%. Mm. You know, online is still only accounts for 10 to maybe 20% of revenue on average. So we're talking about a fairly small bucket in the grand scheme of things. So I do think online will continue to grow, but I do think we've not fully (laughs) felt the force of the economic downturn, which is uh, gonna be
1: worrisome. Wise words, man. Brady, thank you for being here today. Thanks for sharing with us about uh, what you all are learning related to COVID fundraising. I'm looking forward to our next conversation, which is all about testing and optimization to come soon. But in the meantime, how can people reach you if they have questions or want to learn more?
0: Yeah, I uh, actually just stopped Twitter for the most part. So don't go on Twitter.
1: Uh, okay. LinkedIn LinkedIn <laughs> is great.
0: Uh, Brady Josephson, LinkedIn. I love connecting and commenting and messaging. So that's one way. And then if you're interested in more of this research, just go to nextafter.com. That's going to be the best
1: place. Awesome. Yeah, go to nextafter.com. They've got a great library of this research and also all sorts of tests and things that they've done before. So Brady, thanks again for being here with us. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help
1: find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.